Good morning, everybody. How are we doing? Good, good. Um, let's go ahead and get the first word underway. Um, we've got, got a lot to talk about and a lot of very exciting things, in my opinion. Um, but I don't want to get in a big hurry. Um, there's a couple of things before I actually get into the, the lesson. Um, when I was putting this together, I was debating on the font size I wanted to use on my slides. And I had a bigger font, and I realized I don't want to have 100 slides. So I dropped the font down, which I can't see it very well. Well, looking at it up there, you're probably not going to be able to see it either, and I apologize for that. Uh, so a couple of things on that. Next week, we will have some hard copies of this stuff for you to follow along with, and I can also go back and make a hard copy of this lesson. Second thing is, Brother Paul uh, mentioned to me that we are going to get a larger screen. We're going to move to do that. So it will help in the future. So for, for this now, I apologize. Um, it's going to be hard to see, uh, but I think we can, we, can make, we can make our way through it. Um, we're going to talk about the Godhead in the next three lessons. I'm actually going to do three consecutive lessons on that. I'm going to start out very basic, and I'm going to tell you why. When I started praying about this, and I want you to know I have prayed about it, you know, and, and fasted and done other things, and the only reason I'm telling you that is so you know I have sought the face of God on this. I want you to be assured of that. God dealt with me very early on, and he said, and I'm paraphrasing, this is what he impressed on me. This is for those who do not know me. This is for those who do not know my Godhead and do not understand it, or perhaps see it in a way that it is not. And so that is the premise by which I am going to present. Now, for those of you who want to dig deep, I promise you in lessons two and three, we're going to do that. We are going to get, we're going to delve into some of this at a very intricate level. But before we can do that, we have to lay the foundation. And so today I'm going to lay a foundation. And this is going to be review for a lot of you. But what I'm hoping and what I'm believing is that in all this, even those of you who have been in the church for a long time are going to see some things about the Godhead that you've never seen or thought about. I know I have. Uh, just to give you a little perspective, uh, when I first came into the church about 23 years ago, I didn't know anything. Didn't know anything about God. Didn't know anything about the Bible, really, except that it existed. Didn't, my, God, my, my understanding of the Godhead was a joke. It was, it was completely wrong, what little there was in there. And I got, in, got the Holy Ghost, got into church for a while, and I realized, started dawning on me, I really don't know anything about this. I know there's a God. He's filled me with his spirit. I know he's real, but I don't know anything about him. And that bothered me. So I began to dig and study on biblical doctrinal topics and the Godhead was one of those, and this was many years ago, and over the, you know, it was over a time of, of years, lots of prayer, lots of reading my Bible, lots of study in, you know, certain writers' works like David Bernard. I don't know if you guys know who David Bernard is, but he's a fantastic writer on doctrine. He's written a lot of really neat things on the, on the Godhead. We're actually going to look at some of his stuff later on in Lessons 2 and 3. It's really neat. Some of, his, some of the things he's written are fascinating. But God began to show me 
who he was through the Godhead, through the word, through study, and through prayer. And I realized that as I learned about him, I fell in love with him. You cannot love somebody you don't know. You cannot, if you're, if you don't know who he is, either because you just don't know because you're ignorant, and that's not, that doesn't mean stupid, it just means you don't know, or because you're in false doctrine, you don't know him. I mean, that's the bottom line. You cannot, you cannot live for somebody, you cannot love somebody, you cannot be close to somebody you don't know. You know this. It's that way in the natural, it's that way with God. And as I was even going through and after all that, you know, I probably have honestly 50 pages of notes on the Godhead not outlined for him that I put together over the years. And as I was going back, going through some of that, and God was dealing with me on it again, he showed me some things on this that I've never seen before. And I mean, my jaw just hit the ground. You know, it's, you got to be kidding. I've studied this every which way I know how, and you're showing me things I've never seen. Why? Because he's an infinite God. Nobody's going to understand the Godhead completely. But I can tell you it is understandable on a level. There's no mystery in the Godhead. It's not a mystery. As a matter of fact, the Bible says it's been revealed. That mystery of godliness has been revealed to the church. Okay, so we're going to do this in three parts. We're going to start out with part one, which is the one true God. Next slide, please. So there's some opening points that I want to talk about before I ever get into this. First of all, my doctrine needs to be shaped by what it says in the Bible. I need to, I don't care what I know or don't know, I don't care what I've learned, what I think I know, I need to let all that stuff go, and I need to take the Bible for what it is and what it says, and I need to shape and produce my beliefs and my understandings and my doctrine about any biblical topic, whether it's the Godhead or whatever, from the scriptures. Not take what I think I know or what I've been taught and turn the scriptures to meet and fit that belief. Okay, so that's got to happen. If, if you go into studying any topic in the word of God and you don't do that, you are going to have misconceptions and problems. Okay, so please, whatever you... Whatever you think you know about God, whatever I think I know about God, let's, let's base it on what actually says in the Bible, okay? Now, the topic of the Godhead is covered throughout Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. It is literally almost on every page. Um, there's a broad overview given by the Bible, and it's layered as deep as you want to dig. I still never got to the bottom, Okay? There are four books, in my opinion, and they go together, that are very strong, powerful Godhead books. Okay? They are Isaiah, John, Colossians, and Revelation. You can take those four books and just study in those four, and you can have a pretty good idea of what the Godhead is. Okay? And, they're, they're, and, and I think it's a good idea to read them in that order. Because, see... God discloses his Godhead gradually throughout the word of God. He reveals his name, or he has multiple names, but he reveals his ultimate true name as Jesus throughout the word of God. And that culminates in the book of Revelation. Okay? 
So, you know, it's, it's all throughout the Bible, but those four books are really a good place to start. This is not going to be a study about the plan of salvation, although I'm going to touch on that. An understanding of the Godhead that is correct makes the plan of salvation easy to understand. It makes it clear. It removes ambiguity about the process. Because I'm not worried about trying to figure out what's, what's really happening here. I know there's one God. I know his name is Jesus. I'm good. I'll show you that. One of the things that hit me on this uh, as I was just praying about it is that the Godhead actually is him. It's, just, it's his disclosure to his people. It's his disclosure to people that don't know him that he desires to know him. It's the most important topic in the word of God because everything's contingent upon that. It's the most important topic in existence because he's the most important thing in existence. So I start with him and I learn about him and I know him and everything else will kind of, he'll put it into place. But understand, he's the preeminent thing, being whatever you want to, whatever you want to label that there is. So learning about him is very important. Understanding the Godhead boils down to one very simple thing. And if you don't understand this, you will struggle with it left and right. God was, you know, he's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. That means he's all-powerful. You know, he's everywhere. He's all-knowing. He's a spirit. But what you must understand is that Jesus Christ was fully God, and he was fully man. If you can get that, if you can understand that, every scripture in the Bible dealing with the Godhead where there is misinterpretation or misunderstanding becomes clear. But you must understand who Jesus Christ was and is. Okay? I'm telling you, if you can, if you can wrap your mind around that. When we're looking at scriptures dealing with the deity that are we, us, our, in the plural, they're dealing almost always with the deity and the humanity together in Christ Jesus. Okay, if you can, if, again, if you can put your mind around that and understand that, then it becomes very clear. Okay? All right. Let's see. Next slide. Now, there's literally hundreds of scriptures we could have read. I'm going to pick two, and I'm going to do this with each section of this that I think fit where we're going with the theme. So the first one I'm going to read, and it's on the screen, is Isaiah 43, 10 and 11. It says, you are my witnesses, says the Lord. When you see the Lord in capitals like that, it's in reference to Jehovah. And my servant, whom I have chosen, that, may, that you may know and believe me, and understand that I am. That I am, when you see in reference to I am to Godhead, it means a self-existent one or self-eternal one. Okay? Before me there was no God formed, nor shall there be after me. I even, I am the Lord, 
And besides me, there is no savior. Now, okay, if you just took that verse at face value, which you should, it's just him. There's no other God. And he's a savior. Now, I'm going to make an obvious statement here. Jesus said that same thing about himself. Okay. Revelation 1 and 8 says this, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord. That is in reference to Jesus directly. Who is and who was and who is to come? The Almighty. I mean, I, that's, not real, that's not real deep there to put those two scriptures together and say that Jehovah and Jesus are one and the same being. Just, just from those two scriptures in the word of God, you can do that. Because if you don't, if you don't understand that, you're going to think that the Lord Jehovah and Jesus are separate deities. And they are not. Guys, I mean, it's obvious there can be only one almighty. And I don't want to. Next slide. Okay. I don't know if you guys, you guys probably can't see any of that. I'm so sorry. Um, we're going to hit on the major biblical components of the doctrine of God. That's why I'm going to do this, okay, to start out with. So the first thing that you must understand is there is only one God, period, period. There's, 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 there's a lot of false gods. There's a lot of gods that people have created and erected. The Bible talks about how useless those are and how powerless they are. But there's only one true God. Okay, I promise you from cover to cover in the Bible, it doesn't even insinuate anything else. It doesn't even leave it open for conjecture how many gods there are. Please understand that. Let's read a couple of these. I've listed a bunch of scriptures. I just want to touch on some of these. Uh, kind of starts out with, in my mind, Deuteronomy 6 and 4, and it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's numerically one. Just our God. He's one. Uh, James 2 and 19 says this, You believe that there is one God. You do well. For even the demons believe and tremble. You know, you can look at that scripture and you could say, you know, take that devil. Wait a minute. Those demons were with him at one point in time. Those are fallen angels. You don't think they know who God is? Think about that for a minute. They know who he is. They were in his presence. So they're trembling. Why? Because they know he's the one true God. They know he's all powerful. Okay? So, you know, just think of it. I'm telling you, this is so fascinating because it's just, I mean, it's, it's layer upon layer upon layer upon layer, nuance upon nuance. They're all interconnected. It's as deep and as far as you want to go with this. It's one God, Jesus. All right, so this doctrine of one God is taught throughout the Bible. It's emphasized. It's the only doctrine of God presented in the Bible. Now, Jesus told the Jews that there was only one God. Okay, so let's look at Mark 12 and 29. 
Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Okay, now let's, let's look at that for a minute. So here Jesus being God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, we're going to get into that. He's telling, I mean, if Jesus says it, it matters. It matters. That's God in flesh speaking. Okay, so when he was there, when Jehovah God came as a man and he's there with the Jews, he tells them the first and foremost commandment is, I'm one. So, doctrinally, do you think Jesus could be wrong? Well, I think I got a problem with that. He's not wrong. Because if his doctrine is wrong, let's just let's go home. He said there's one God. Now, let's just let me let me read. I wasn't going to do this. But I'm going to do it. Um, let me read a couple of these scriptures in Isaiah. Now, we're going we're gonna to come back to Isaiah. I told you it's just an absolutely fascinating, powerful oneness text. What I love about it is God in the first person declares to us who he is. Okay? And, I mean, he doesn't pull any punches. He doesn't, he doesn't candy coat anything. He lays it out there. And so I, wanna, I just want to, I've got to read some of this. It says in Isaiah 44 and 24, it says, Thus say the Lord, your Redeemer, and he who formed you from the womb. I am the Lord who makes all things, who stretches out the heavens all alone, who spreads abroad the earth by myself. Now, okay. Again, not to give away where I want to go with some of this stuff. Okay, he's using the first person singular there. I did it, me. He said, I created all these things alone by myself. You know, the Bible says that through Christ, he created the worlds. He created the heavens. Whoa, what's going on there? Well, if you think about what Christ exemplifies, he was the mind, the word of God made flesh that the spirit of God dwelt in. He's God. That's not a contradiction. Isaiah 45, 5 and 6 says this, I am the Lord, and there is no other. There is no God besides me. I will gird you, though you have not known me, verse 6, that they may know from the rising of the sun to the setting that there is none beside me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Why do you think, because I mean, I don't know, have you ever wondered why there's so many scriptures in the book of Isaiah that basically say similar things about him that he says about himself? I think in the Bible, if something is repeated over and over and over and over, there's a reason for that. It, this is not, we're not, okay, you can't build a doctrine on one scripture. We're going to build a doctrine on a whole bunch of scriptures. The fact that he's telling you that he alone is God, that there's none other, no one helped him, no one worked with him, no one created, no one does anything, no one can save, no one can do anything that God does outside of him. He's trying to get that through my thick skull that I am assured through those multiple witnesses that it is him and him alone. That's what he's doing. I need to unequivocally know that he is the one. Okay? That's, that's some of what we're dealing with with that. 
All right, next slide. During much prayer over this, there's about three or four things dealing with the Godhead that God dealt with me about that either I've never seen before, never put, you know, A plus B together to get C, or thought about, but never thought about in the way he wanted me to think about it. This is one of those. So last night we had, I mean, we had a prayer meeting last night. We, we did. We had, a, we had a prayer meeting last night. I'm telling you that the spirit of God felt it was tangible. I felt like, I mean, I, you can't touch a spirit, but I felt like in my heart of hearts, in my soul, I could touch him. He laid this on my heart last night for today. There is none like him. Now, okay. We know that. We, we, just, we just read in the book of Isaiah, we know that. But, guys, this is deeper than that. And so I had that scripture on my heart last night and got up this morning and was working on that. And I thought, okay, this is not going to be a big deal. There's none like him in heaven or earth. We know this. And as I started studying and started digging into this, I was kind of blown away by what I found. There is nobody, and the Bible talks about this. It goes at length to, to, to explain that there is no one, none like him, like our God. No one can be likened or compared to God. Understand that. Nothing. No one. And that includes false gods. Now, I pulled, I pulled some scriptures, and I want to just cite, you know, you can see on the right, the scriptures are in green. That's the color coding. The scriptures that I'm going to quote will always be in green. I'm not going to necessarily read those. But I'm going to talk about them. Some of them I will. We could, I mean, we could be here for, you know, 20 weeks if I read all this stuff. Um, I have copies of my notes. Feel free. I'll give you a copy. You can look it up. It is what it says, I promise. Okay, so the first one is no one holy besides God. None besides you are God. No other rock. That's what it says in 1 Samuel 2 and 2. Now, I, I looked up that no one and none in all these verses. And it's translated from the same Hebrew word. And this is what I think is neat about it. It means to be nothing or to not exist. So when it, get this, when it says no one or none in reference to God as being the one and only true God, there is no other. It's saying there is no other God in existence. There's none, zero, whether it's, you know, it doesn't matter what it is. Um, the next verse, none like you, no God beside you. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. That's in Isaiah 46 and 9. Um, I like this one. This one's really interesting. Um, God's referencing himself there again in the first person. Me, I. No one else, nothing else, nothing else exists. You understand, you catch the, the doctrinal, whether it's, whether it's something that is a physical, quote-unquote, God, 
that some society has erected or something that somebody is worshiping or whether it's in my mind, catch it, it doesn't exist. It's not God. Lord himself is God in heaven and earth, there is no other. None like you, O God, you are great, your name is great. This is Jeremiah 10 and 6. I like this, the name is singular. Why? One God, one finally revealed name. Catch that. No God in heaven or earth can do what God does. And no God in heaven or on earth like him, the Lord God of Israel. That's my God. There is none like him in heaven or on earth. That's all of existence. Catch that. Um, that's, that's my God. All right, next slide. Now, let's take our first step into a little deeper water, doctrinally. You must understand that the word of God teaches that the only true God is God the Father. Please understand that, okay? And, and I'm gonna show you that scripturally. Um, let me get past all this. All right, I'm gonna start out in John 17, one, one through three. And you, I want you to listen to this very carefully because I'm gonna use this in conjunction with the scripture in 1 Corinthians. It says, Jesus spoke these words, lift up, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come, glorify your son, that your son may glorify you as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, that's the father. You understand the context here and the, the subject verb and all that, that stuff that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So here, out of the mouth of Jesus, he identifies the Father as the only true God. Now, let's look at 1 Corinthians 8, 5, and 6. It says, For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, these are false gods and lords, okay, Yet for us there is one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we for him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we live. So you've got two scriptures that tell you that the only true God is God the Father. Okay? Now who is God the Father? He's Jehovah. Who is Jesus? He's God the Father of Jehovah in his full revelation to the church. You follow now, I'm just going to, God the Father is scriptural. It is used throughout the Bible. Please understand, you search any of them, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost are not scriptural. They're not in the Bible. I know I've studied it. It's just not there. Those are not biblical terms. Son of God is biblical. Spirit of God is biblical. God the Son, God the Holy Ghost are not. So don't get hung up on that. It's just, it's just not there. It's just not, Okay. If God, excuse me, if God the Father is the one and only true God, there can't be any other God. We've already established that, that he said, the Father said, as Jehovah, there are no other gods. So if I put God the anything out there, 
It's not doctrinally correct, unless it's in reference to him. You follow? Well, that's what Isaiah is talking about the whole time. All right, next slide. I really need to do like I do when I'm at school and say, okay, anyone got any questions? But I'm not dumb enough to do that in here because either no one will ask or everyone's hand's going to go up. I don't want either one, so I'm just going to go on. So, make sure I'm on the right slide. I barely can see that. The next thing we need to look at and consider is that Jesus Christ is the incarnation of the God the Father of Jehovah. That, that is taught, again, it's foreshadowed in the Old Testament. It's brought to pass and discussed deeply in the New Testament. An incarnation is a representation. It's a tangible. I can see it. I can, or I can see it and touch it. Representation is something that's what? Invisible. The Bible says that and, and this, we'll get into this later, too. But in John chapter one, it says that no man has seen God at any time except as Jesus Christ has revealed him or declared him. The only image of God, the only incarnation of God. Now, we're going to talk about theophanies later, which are which are manifestations of God, you know, fire, cloud, whirlwinds, whatever. But the only way you can ever see the image, the incarnation of the invisible God is when you see Jesus Christ. That's it. There is nothing else because you can't see a spirit. Okay. Now. In Hebrews, I'm going to get into the book. I'm going to get into Hebrews chapter one later. I don't have time to do it today. But it does state that Christ was the image or the incarnation of God's own person. Now that matters. That person, if you study it out, means nature. I mean, God's not a person, but your person, your nature, who he was. If Christ, Christ had one nature. You know, if he's the, if he's the representation of of God's own person or God's nature, how many Christs were there? There was one. Why? One God. Christ didn't have a dual or triple or quadruple nature. I don't know. It, it makes total sense to me, but it's got to make sense to everybody else, I guess. Now, there's some really powerful scriptures in Colossians and Corinthians about this, but all the fullness of the Godhead was represented in or dwelt in Jesus Christ, in that incarnation, in that manifestation. You have to understand that, that he didn't represent a piece of God or one component of God or one aspect of God. He was fully everything of the one indivisible God in bodily form. Okay, he was fully God. Why? Because the spirit of God gave him the deity. And he was fully man because he was born of a woman made under the law. He was flesh. And see, here's the, here's the thing, and, and I'm, I'm trying to be very careful intentionally not to go, because there's some things I want to dig into. How, on, okay, so the Bible says that he's our redeemer, he's our savior, I'm talking about Jehovah. Now, you know, how can a spirit save and redeem when the Bible says that the only way through salvation, you have to have shedding of blood. Spirits don't shed blood. 
You know, flesh does. The only way that he could actually function as our redeemer and savior, he had to become a man that could die and could shed blood. And that's, just, that's the bottom line. You know, the mystery. How, how, how did God do all this stuff? What's the mystery of God? And how was he a spirit? And how, was he, how did all this stuff work? It's because he became a man, fully God, fully man, died for us on the cross, and gave me a chance to know him through his spirit. And that's, that's the bottom line, okay? So let's, let's read some of these. Um, I'm going to read Colossians 1, 15 and 19. It says, he, and it's talking about Christ, is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. That's 15. 19 said, For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. The full Godhead was represented in Christ. Okay? I mean, that's Bible. We just read it. Um, 2 Corinthians 4 and 4 says, Whose minds the God of this age has blinded? Who's the God of this age? Satan. He wants to be your God. And so if he can confound your understanding of the one true God, then he can weasel his way in there and start to affect you. And see, part of him, in my opinion, part of him being the God of this age is he wants to pull all attention away from God and to him. If he doctrinally can get you in a place where you don't know who God is, he's accomplishing that. So I need the word of God to clarify in my mind who he is so that the God of this age cannot pull me away from the truth. Don't, that's, that's not in there by accident in that place. Who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of God, who is the image of God, should shine on them. That God is God the Father. Colossians 2 and 9 says, For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Now we're starting to repeat in the Bible. That, I told you what that means. There's a reason for that. 2 Corinthians 5.19, this is a powerful scripture dealing with who Jesus Christ was. It says, that is that God was in Christ. That's where he got the deity from. Okay? Reconciling the world to himself. Whoa. God was in Christ. Reconciled. Who's himself? To, to God. It's talking about to God. How's he going to reconcile the world? It's going to be that sacrifice. I mean... Guys, this is like doctrine 101. Sin separates us from God. We've all sinned. How do I get rid of it? I take the blood of Jesus Christ and I apply it to my life through repentance and baptism. God shed that blood. I'm reconciled to him when I do that. Mm. The fullness of God the Father of Jehovah dwelt in and was represented by Jesus Christ. That's it. When, let me tell you something. When we all stand up there, kneel or fall on our face or whatever we're going to do, when we get before him in heaven, you are not going to see the Spirit of God, but you will see Jesus Christ. And you will fall down before him as Jehovah God. And you will know that is my God. That is my Savior. That is the way that my God made a way for me to be saved. Let's see where I'm at on time here.
Ooh, this is not good. <laughs> Next slide. Uh, hey, hey, brother Paul, we might need 10 of these. <laughs> oh. Jesus Christ is the incarnation of the Father, continued. Now, we've talked about him being the incarnation of God the Father, but the Bible doesn't take any chances. It lays it out there for us. And see, if, if you're like me, you're sometimes kind of slow and you have to have it you know, shown to you multiple different ways, multiple times. So God, he, he, he took care of that. Jesus is the incarnation of Jehovah. The Bible just tells us that in Jeremiah. He just cuts right to the chase with that. Okay. Jesus was the incarnation of the spirit of God. The Bible says God is a spirit. Um, Man, I'd really like to read these scriptures, but I'm not going to. Romans 8, 9 through 11 and 2 Corinthians 3, 16 through 18 basically tell you that the spirit of God is Christ. Okay? All right. Jesus is the incarnation of the word. Now, we're, we're going to deal with this next time, but the word, that's a Greek, the word in, in John 1 and 2 and 14 comes from a Greek word, logos, which just means the mind, the thoughts, the will, the understanding. The, basically the nature that makes somebody who they are. So you must understand that Christ was the incarnation of the mind of God. And we'll, we'll look at that scripturally later. Um, now, one, one scripture I do want to read. Um, this is really neat. It says, Jesus Christ is the true God in eternal life. Now, now, look at this in 1 John 5 and 20. It says, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God in eternal life. Why can we say that? Why can we say that Jesus Christ is the true God? And we've been talking about God, the Father, and Jehovah is the true God. Because Jesus Christ represented all the Godhead in bodily form. It's not a contradiction. It's simply God. And when you see that connection, there's no doctrinal ambiguity there. I guess I want, I'm going I'm to close here, but I want to say something before I do. Um, I didn't get anywhere near finished with my lesson. You probably figured that out. Um, I thought I knew him doctrinally before I started working on this, and I feel like I did. But my hunger and my desire... For him has become so strong over this because I see even greater than I thought I did who he is. And because I see that, because he's dealt with me about that, and because he's, he's just reinvigorated that all in me, I want to live for him and serve him and walk with him more than I ever have. He is God. He's everything. I'm going to close it out there. So we'll take a little bit of a break and then we'll start the service.